with you, to see all of you here, and I have thoroughly enjoyed sitting in front of you and hearing all those singing voices come up. It's just so great. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about issues regarding marriage, but he says something that applies to the thoughts that we have before us this morning. In verse number 26, Paul said, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it's good for a man so to be. Talking about whether he should marry or not marry. But there was something going on in their community that made it a little easier to live if men didn't have the responsibility of a family to look after. Well, we know that the Jews were persecuting the church. The Romans were persecuting Israel all the time. Every transgression of Roman law was threatened with severe punishment. It wasn't an easy place and time to live. And then in addition to that, turmoil in the church had raised doubt as to their future. Will the church even continue to exist? You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with 11 different specific problems in that church. They had numerous issues that were disturbing them. And so he spoke of their present distress. But in the text that we read earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said that in the latter times, perilous times shall come something that was harsher than their current circumstances. <clears throat> the prophecy of God was that difficult times were upon them. America, in our age, is experiencing upheaval, or at least the threat of it, in practically every segment of society. Government, education, entertainment. Everything is changing, and most of it seems to be changing for the worse. There's less civility, there's less respect for all, there's less courtesy for one another. Civil unrest in our streets, attacks against religion, are we merely in a present distress, or are these perilous times that are going to grow worse? And more importantly, what should we do about it? This passage in First Timothy, excuse me, in Second Timothy, chapter three, and verse number eight, fairly well describes the day in which we live. He begins by listing a number of issues, discrepancies, sins that will be characterized by the people. And the first one that he mentions is that the lovers of their own selves. Probably this one is the root of all of the others that follow in the list. But in, implied in the statement is 
lovers of themselves to the exclusion of others. I love me, my way, my opinion, my wants, and I don't care about you. That seems to characterize the age in which we live, at least many people that we know and hear about. But Paul, or rather Peter, wrote to us that we should love one another. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, full of pity for one another. Be courteous. And yet Jesus himself said that we should love our neighbor. In Matthew chapter 22, verse number 39, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What we're seeing in the world around us today is exactly the opposite in many respects from what our Creator designed us to be and called us to be. And he goes on in the list and he says, men will be covetous. You know what that means? I want what you've got and I'm going to get it by whatever means is possible. How many pictures and images have we seen of the looting of stores, of the theft of private property, we live near Chicago, we get Chicago news all the time. Over the late part of the winter and early spring, there was a big rash of, of uh, carjackings. People just deciding, I want that car, and they went and took it. <coughs> I beg your pardon for my voice. When it travels, it takes a trip sometimes and leaves me behind. <coughs> we even see people coveting another person's position. You don't belong there. You shouldn't be the boss. You shouldn't be in charge. You shouldn't have that recognition, that respect. That should be mine. That kind of covetousness characterizes our society. And then boasters. Shortly after the recent election, when a new government was installed, one of the congresswomen said, we're in charge now. We'll do it our way. That kind of boasting is not godly is not even peaceful and polite. But proud is the next item on the list. You know, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. If we lift ourselves up with pride, we better look out. We're headed for a fall. But we see gay pride. We see pride weak. We see parades, flags, forced acceptance of evil, viciousness in work, in school, even in our housing sometimes. But Psalm 110, excuse me, Psalm 10 in verse number 4 says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. And that certainly characterizes much of what we see in our world today. Paul writes of blasphemers, Policies and programs have been introduced that seek to remove God completely from our society. In the recent National Day of Prayer, the President in his speech failed even to mention the name of God. His political party before the last uh, campaign voted to take God out of their platform. These are blasphemous actions. 
denying God's place in our society and in the founding of our society and our nation. They're shutting God and the Bible out of schools, out of government buildings, even obliterating what was carved in stone over the doors of courthouses and city and, and the federal government buildings. They have been preventing church meetings while bars and other sinful organizations stayed open. Way back in the Law of Moses, God had something to say <clears throat> that applies to our needs today. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 16, He who blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. That was God's law back in that day. And it is God's opinion, God's view of himself and of his creation even today. For the New Testament says, in Matthew chapter 15, in verse number 19, in the words of Jesus, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. We're defiling ourselves by turning to ourselves and putting God out of our lives. Paul mentions in this passage in 2 Timothy 3, disobedient to parents as these people will be. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, probably uh, some of your children, uh, the earliest verses that they memorized, or maybe that you tried to teach them at home, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I never will forget my oldest granddaughter when she was about, I don't know, two years old, two and a half years old, something like that. Came home on a Sunday. We were all sitting around the table at lunch. And um, my daughter, the granddaughter's aunt, not her mother, had been her teacher. And she said, tell Grandpa what was the, the verse you learned in, scripture, in the Bible class today. And she said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Is this right? No. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> she almost remembered it. But that's what God says. It's the right thing to do. And not only for small children, but for us as adults as well. If our parents are still living, we have the responsibility to honor them. And even at times, to, to, uh, under the proper conditions, to obey them when they are in the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he talks of those who are widows. And he says, you got family at home. You let your family take care of you. Your family ought to be taking care of those who are widows. And then he said, those who won't do so have denied the faith and are worse than an infidel. We have an obligation, a responsibility to honor our parents. But our, our children today are being told in schools, don't go home and tell your parents what we've been talking about today. I don't know what they're talking about, but I know they're saying that because I hear that said from the children. And I know some of what they're talking about because some godly people, some honest people, are making reports. And they don't get much press, but they're out there if you go looking for them. We are in a society in which we put away the aged people because they're just too much of a burden for us. 
I know too many people in nursing homes that have been put in there and then just left their family never ever comes to visit them. I know a young man who's a member of the Lord's Church, obeyed the gospel in prison, uh, is a very, very godly person, wants to get out and go preach the gospel everywhere. His family will have nothing whatever to do with him, simply because he had an indiscretion once in his past, and it's just too much trouble to be associated with him. That's just so sad. His children even don't, uh, don't even uh, communicate with him at all. We deny our responsibility. That's a godless thing. That's the way the world is today. And I suppose, in some respects, to some degree in some of these things, has always been so. But the Spirit says, in latter days, these are going to be perilous times described by these uh, characteristics. Then he says they're going to be unthankful. How common is it in your life to hear somebody say please and thank you? Almost written out of our vocabulary in our generation. That's a very sad uh, occurrence. Psalm 50, verse number 14 says, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. In Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter number 1, <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 20 and 21. This is in the context of his discussion of how we, everybody can look outside and see that there's a God. We can just see the effects of creation. But he continues on. He says in verse 20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now notice this. Because that when they knew God, and everybody can, just by looking outside, that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, thankfulness is not just a characteristic of Christians. God expects it of all His creatures when we see His glory in the world around us. Paul adds to the list, unholy. Abortion, euthanasia, mass shootings. How far do we go down this list? Males and females sharing toilet facilities in public with total strangers, not members of the family. And it's hard to imagine, I think, in my mind at least, anything more unholy than the so-called gender dysphoria that's describing our nation more and more every day. I don't know if I'm a man or a woman. One county, I've forgotten now where it was or even what state it was in. I hope it wasn't in Michigan, but it wouldn't have surprised me. It could have been anywhere. One county even now forbids listing gender on a birth certificate. Well, we won't know what gender this child is until the child's old enough to decide what gender it is. Is that sick or what? That's unholy, about as unholy as you can get without natural affection. Hardly a clearer illustration of this than mothers killing their own babies. And I don't mean just the unborn babies. So many mothers, I, don't, I think three different times in the last two weeks I've read stories of women killing their own children just for various reasons. I, the baby wouldn't eat, so she beat her to death. The baby wouldn't stop crying, so she slapped her, held her mouth, and suffocated her till she till she died. And then one woman just didn't want kids in her life anymore, so she just 
children. Really sad situation. That's the world in which we live. Truce breakers is next on the list. Somebody who breaks the peace. Well, we see the disturbing of peace in our cities. Wars against our police. Our civilized citizens, law-abiding citizens. Lawbreakers are having occupied zones in some of our major cities where police and decent people aren't allowed to go. Not too far from here, across this state, there's a city that's completely taken over by people who don't know and don't want to know God. But you, people just not keeping their promises to you. How many times recently have you observed the fact that somebody says, count on me, I'll be there, I'll do this, I'll do that, set an appointment, and then just simply not show up? It happens all the time anymore. It's really sad. We, in the work that we've been doing lately, we've had numerous occasions to depend on other people to provide services, and they just don't show up to do it. False accusers, Paul mentions. You've seen those stories of women accusing men of indecent uh, contact when, in fact, nothing ever actually happened. We've seen it to citizens you never heard of. We've seen it especially uh, of people who are elected to office or appointed uh, to a high government position. These accusations are made practically every time somebody comes up. And then we have even the, the uh, movement to remove the First Amendment from our law base. You don't need the right to freedom of speech. We'll do that for you. We'll tell you what's right to speak and to say in the country. There are people who are literally trying to remove that freedom from our society. Paul mentions fierce. No, excuse me, I skipped incontinent. The lack of self-control is evident. Do you ever go shopping on a crowded day? You see people acting a little wild and crazy sometimes in stores. Something maybe as simple as turning their cart this way and cutting you off because they want to go. They don't care about you. They're just totally out of control. No sense of responsibility at all. But drivers on the highways, news media, several stories lately <coughs> of people in media uh, getting angry with their co-workers or with the news story itself, getting up and walking off the set or causing a fight in the studio. It's just total lack of self-control. Actors doing the same thing, walking off their sets and turning around and condemning and accusing the co-workers or the directors or the producers. Then Paul mentions fears. Things that not too long ago in our life would be just a simple disagreement. You know, I, I think we ought to have red chairs instead of blue in here. You know, we talk about it and we work it out. But today, these kinds of things turn into fights and even murder sometimes over the simplest little things. People have become fierce in their opinions and their communications. Despisers of those that are good. I think maybe that's another characteristic in this list that, that really covers many of the other items in the list. It seems that <clears throat> it seems that everything that characterized the programs and the policies and the attitudes that we grew up with, that built the strongest economy and the safest country in the history of the world, 
All those things are now hated and they're targeted for destruction. They just want this country to be something else. Last week, members of Congress were quoted openly and boldly as promoting Soviet socialism, Hitler's fascism, Muslim terrorism, just in the news items of this past week. Members of the United States Congress who are sworn to uphold the law and defend the Constitution. That bee landed on that baby girl's head. Right there. I was teaching a Bible class over in Saline a few years ago, and a bat flew out of the back of the building and swirled just over everybody's head, just around and around. People were ducking and crawling at their pews. The man finally opened the back door and got it outside. <coughs> we used to have our windows open down in Tennessee in the summertime. We didn't have fans and air conditioners, and we had birds and wasps and all kinds of things flying into bombs. <coughs> I suppose you could say a bumblebee on your head is a perilous time. <laughs> Hopefully it's a passing distress. But Paul is describing, we got it? Amen. Good for you. I don't know, sitting outside. Paul is describing the characteristic of perilous times that he said were coming into the world. And he lists that people will become traitors. People that you used to depend on. People that used to support you have turned against you. And this is true in businesses and governments as well. There was a time, and most of us remember a time, if it was a Disney movie, you could send the kids to watch it and never worry about it. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that. They're going to be taught all kinds of political correctness and uh, heathenism and who knows what all stuff coming out of this. I mean, and all kinds of businesses and even governments that we used to count on for protecting us now no longer do so. Heady, he says. Get the big head. Have you noticed that when people do some of these ungodly things in society and the news and the Law, enf law enforcement authorities don't enforce the law and they don't condemn these people and they, in fact protect them and defend them. Have you noticed that those people then become emboldened to do more and to do worse? And it spreads. What started out in one city in the northwest has gone clear across the country. Hey, they got away with it. Nobody cares. We can do that too. They're getting headstrong in what they're doing. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All of that in this same chapter, down in verse number 13. He speaks of them being high-minded. The destruction that they have created, when they've done all that, they turn around and they claim the high moral ground. So you see there? We're better than you are because we were able to do this and get away with it and they reduce to insignificance anybody who speaks against them. That's illegal. That's ungodly. 
That's not fair. That's not right. Well, who do you think you are talking to me that way? You see? That's the kind of attitude that we're getting in the world today. There's no respect for righteousness at all. Self-righteous politicians are boldly denying the Constitution and the greatness of this country. They've let them be uh, elevated to the positions that they hold. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, again, that's probably always been in the world to one degree or another. It's always been the way of the unbeliever. But the ways of our age have turned cold the love of many who formerly served God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, and the love of many shall grow cold. And we're seeing that happening. Members of the church, as well as members of our society, are turning against God more and more. And finally, he says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Well, obviously some people don't even have the form of godliness, never did and never wanted it. But they exalt themselves as their own God. But he's speaking here of people who have followed God at one time and then turned to man-made religions or social activism and uh, prosperity rather than to the preaching of the gospel. And some people among us even fail to seek God's word on the issues that we face. Well, these are some of the issues that we face. Paul has well, I think, defined and described the age in which we live. And the description and the observation leads us back to 1 Timothy and chapter number 4. <coughs> in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said, Now the Spirit speaks expressly, specifically, the Holy Spirit said this specifically, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Again, specifically he's talking about the lies of man-made religious dogma that was going to defy, uh, divide the church. But the principle is evident in any specific issue that's raised to defend an opinion or a preference. We just rule God out of the question. It seems right to me. It's what I want. It's what I can get away with. So that makes it right. That's the thinking and the attitude. And the Holy Spirit said in the days of the Apostle Paul, that was coming. That was going to be the case. We've been blessed in this country. We haven't seen that as a national characteristic through most of our history. Many countries do. I've visited in countries that are not near as, uh, not nearly as peace-loving and law-abiding uh, as we have been in this country. But um, there have been those who have wanted this country to look like other countries, and now they're doing it, and not for the better. First. No, second, Peter, chapter 1, and verse number 3, is a verse of Scripture that you ought to know. You ought to have it memorized, and you ought to think about it and remember it every day. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I said 2 Peter, and I read 1 Peter, but that's also a good verse to know. I wanted to read 2 Peter. <coughs> According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue. If we know Jesus, and the only way to know Jesus is by reading the book, knowing the book, because He's not walking in that door, He's not walking down the street, He's not hovering in the air above us every day so we can look up and see Him and see who He is. He's in the book today. The only way to know Jesus is by what's written in this book. If we know Jesus, we have everything we need to know about how to live in this world and be prepared for the world to come. God has given us this book for that purpose. That air conditioner, this light bulb, this microphone. They come with instruction manuals. Here's how it works best. Now you might be able to get it to work some other way, but this is how it works best. The Bible is that book for your life. God has given us this book of instructions, the operator's manual for the human life. You either believe that or you don't. It says that we have all the answers. Now, we don't have it up here. We got it here. It's in the book. You're godly if you follow the Bible. You're not godly if you don't. You live a right life here, and you have a hope of eternal life if and only if you follow the Bible. You obey what it teaches. Now, there's a long study involved in that. Somebody will say, well, do you mean I ought to go out here and stone my children? That was a specific law for a specific time and place. Do you mean that I ought to trust Jesus said, you know, don't worry about what you're going to speak. God's going to miraculously tell you what to speak. That was to a specific group of people at a specific time under specific circumstances. That's not what the Bible teaches us to do. Those words are written there. In the Bible, you'll find this expression in Job chapter 2. Curse God and die. Is that God's will for you? Obviously not. The Bible says a lot of things that it doesn't teach. Because very often the Bible quotes ungodly people. And the Bible quotes laws that were made for other people in other times and places. But what does the Bible teach us to do? And so if we learn that, if we'll read the Bible and study it and understand God's message for us, we will be prepared to deal with whatever comes along in this world. And so I want us to turn to 1 Peter, and this time I know that's right, 1 Peter chapter number 2. And I want to look at some selected verses here. First <coughs> Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Wherefore, Laying aside all malice, 
Get rid of it. Don't have any malice, hatred, evil in your life. And all guile, that's deceit, that's false speaking. Laying aside all hypocrisies. Don't be a hypocrite. Say what you are and be what you are. Laying aside all envies. You don't need what I got. I don't need what you got. I can't handle what I got. I sure can't handle what you got. Each one of us has got enough in it, hands full as it is. Lay aside the envy. Lay aside all evil speakings. Let's just get rid of that, okay? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. You believe that God is gracious? Is the grace of God seen in Jesus, in the pages of the Bible, in anybody that you've known who is a follower of Jesus? Well, then desire His Word like a baby desires milk. Dig into the Word. Find out what's in this book. Read it. Study it. Digest it. Live it. To whom, speaking of the Lord in verse 3, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus was that chief cornerstone that men rejected. The church is built on Him. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's who you are if you're a Christian. That's what God made of you when you obeyed the gospel. You're a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. And you are made that so that you can offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. You need to know that's who you are. Wherefore, also it's contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. You won't be confused. You might have doubts in your own mind from time to time. But you won't be following a confused course of life if you are following Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Hold to Him. Walk in His steps. Follow that pathway of life. And you will be in the right path. You will be blessed by God. I want to move down to verse number 9. <clears throat> he continues, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It doesn't mean weird. <laughs> it means especially chosen by God. You are the people that God has chosen. You know, we hear a lot today still about God's chosen people, Israel. They were. Now God's chosen people of the church. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you've repented from your sins, you've confessed your faith in Him and been baptized into Him, Romans 6, 3 and 4, and Galatians 3, 27, then you have been saved from your sin and added to the Lord's church. You are a chosen generation. You are in that group of people that are chosen a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
You've been lifted out of the darkness of sin and all that corruption that's in the world around us. And you've been brought into light. The light of truth. The light of hope. The light that comes from heaven. The light that is Jesus Christ. The light that is His Word. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's Word can light the way that you should walk. In um, verse number 12, verse number 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Peter didn't know who these people were. He was writing to Christians who were living far off cities. A letter to be circulated amongst the cities. <clears throat> I beseech, I don't know you, but I beg you, he says. Abstain from fleshly lusts. They war against your soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Conversation there meaning behavior. Let your behavior, your conduct be honest among people who are outside the church. So that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. They may not like the way you behave if you behave righteously in all their wickedness. Many of them will condemn you because you make some of them feel guilty. They know they don't measure up to you the standard that you're setting. And they'll persecute you for it. But some of them at least, when the Lord comes again in that day of visitation, some of them will say, I remember Paul. I remember Roger. I remember that one. I remember how he set a better example for me. He told me a better way to live. He showed me a better way to live. And they'll glorify God for that standard. Maybe not until the Lord comes again. But you're right. And everybody will know it at the end of time. If you stand in it. Verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Obey the law. If it says 35 miles an hour, you don't drive 36 or 45. You drive 35 or less. If it says stop, you don't come to a rolling glide through the intersection. You stop. If the light is red and there's not a soul in sight, you wait for the green. And all the other laws that man has made. Now, if man passes a law and says you can't pray, what did Daniel do? He prayed, right? If a man passes a law that says you can't obey God, you ignore that law. You obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You put God first. And if man passes a law that says your taxes are going to go up by 10%, you don't like that, but you obey the law. Obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king, the supreme, or to the governors, as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Remember, federal law, state law, city law, neighborhood law, every ordinance of man. Just obey the law. That's what righteous people do. That's what holy people do. For so is the will of God, <clears throat> that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And that's what they are. They're ignorant. These people weren't born evil. 
They weren't born and the first words they said was, let's go kill the Christians. Let's hate the church. Let's put God out of society. They learned that. They were taught wrong. They're ignorant of the truth. And that's why the Lord set us out to preach the truth. It's the will of God that you live that way. You're put to death, but put to uh, uh, silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You might say, well, I have the right to stand here. But Roger says, wait a minute, my foot is there. But you say, but I got a right to stand there. Not if this foot's already there. Eh? Don't use your liberty for a cover of evil and wickedness. Be a servant of God first. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Be subject to your masters. Verse 18. Endure grief. Suffering wrongfully. I'm hearing many voices in the church today standing up against governors, mayors, presidents, congressmen. I have a right. You can't take that right away from me. You can't make me do so and so. Some of the things they put to us, you got to wear a mask if you're coming in this place. Used to be way back a year ago when all this started, you had to wear gloves too, you remember that? Mask and gloves when you go into places. I hated that. I still do. I think I've got somewhere here. Yeah, I've got it. Oh, I had it. I've got it. I can put it on if I need to. I'm ready for them when they, when they holler. I hate that thing. I have trouble breathing without one. And especially on hot days like this. I've got the liberty to walk about, but they've got the right to make rules in their place of business. And if I don't want to wear a mask, I don't have to go in that place of business. I'm go someplace else. Honor the laws. Be subject to your masters. <clears throat> your masters being the teacher, the employer, the manager of the business you're going into to, to do retail business or whatever. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrong. If I do it for God, whatever they're making me do, put God first. What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults you take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take that patiently, that's acceptable with God. For hereunto where you call, follow his steps. He did no sin. No guile was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he committed himself to him that judges righteously who his own self bear our sins in his body on that tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. God has given us a pattern, a way to live in this world. He wrote these words to people that were suffering, probably worse than what we're putting up with in our society. This is how we handle the changes and the corruption that's coming along. 
in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse number 2, be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. And he says in verse 8, don't be ignorant of that. And he says in verse 9, God wants you to come to repentance. God is not slack concerning His promise. The country that was once God-honoring, at least in general character, is becoming a God-hating country. That doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. But you hold to Him. Be patient because God is patient with us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means those evil people in the world. That means you and me. And the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away and the, uh, with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And so, beloved, verse 14, Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And in verse 17, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, <clears throat> but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. If you're not a Christian... You are without the only hope that anybody has in this world. If you are a Christian, you are living according to the book that God gave us. You are forsaking Him who gave His life to you. Won't you repent and come to Him now while we stand and sing this song?